the Stephenville Summit on defending land and water from windmills, gold mines, and fish farms. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 235, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. This week, coverage of the gathering hosted by Mi'kmaq Matters on October 12th in Stephenville. You can view the complete video on our Facebook page or on YouTube. So we're here tonight to talk about a very important matter, defending land and water from mining development, fish farms, and of course in this area, the windmill project that would locate 164 wind turbines on the port port Peninsula, more than 600 feet in height to each of these uh, turbines. And uh, where I'm from, uh, uh, in York Harbor, in the Bay of Islands, uh, we, uh, when we take uh, the trail to uh, the peak of Bloomingdale, we'll have to detour on a copper mine, which is in development, and when we get to the peak, we'll be looking at a windmill if things uh, go according to plan. So. Uh, we're, we're in serious times. So tonight, we'll talk about what we can do as, as individuals, as Mi'kmaq people, as organizations to defend our land and water. We have two guests with me uh, up here. Don Ivany is uh, NL Program Director for the Atlantic Santa Federation. Thanks for coming, Don. Thank you for the invitation. And we have uh, Greg Janes. Uh, the former chief of Berger First Nation, and will be joined uh, on the phone partway through by Justin Hodge, who has been involved in the so far successful campaign to save an area known as Charlie's Place, which is Mi'kmaq ancestral territory in central Newfoundland near uh, in the Appleton uh, area. Let's start with you, Don, and... Um, You've uh, been in your work for many years as uh, working with the Atlantic, Atlantic Salmon Federation. And I guess salmon are, to use a, a mixed metaphor, the canary in the gold mine. The, the health of salmon are the health of, uh, of the environment. And the salmon get it from uh, all angles, from mining, from fish farms, etc. But let me ask you uh, about this current moment. We have... Um, Mines, uh, gold mines being developed from one corner down in Isla Mort. The Isla Mort River is the Schedule Sam River, all the way up northeast. Uh, I think they're almost to Gander Bay now, a line of gold mines in development. Um, and along the south coast, from basically La Poil to Beta Spare, we're going to have fish farms. And uh, not to mention the other developments. There's a copper mine in the Bay of Islands, as I mentioned, and maybe lithium exploration on the Burgio Highway River. Have you? Has there ever been a time when there's been more development going on than now? It seems like now, more than any time in history, we have uh, development, resource development going on at an unprecedented level. I, I think that's a true statement. Uh, as I say, I've been with the Atlantic Salmon Federation now for 30 years, 
And, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of proposals on a, on a regular basis uh, every year, um, but uh, not always to the, uh, to the extent of some of the ones we're seeing today. They're, you know, these are large projects. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the, the gold mines and some of the exploration work that's being done, you know, in the Gander area. And just based on the core samples alone from um, that, that have been drilled uh, on that uh, at that site uh, near Appleton, um, um, you know that uh, gold mine uh, poses to be probably one of the largest in the world. Uh, and uh, because of uh, you know uh, uh, some of the results from that mine, uh, we've also seen other proposals come forth uh, from Matador. Uh, mining company uh, on the Isle of Mort River, and uh, Newfound. Uh, sorry, uh, there's uh, uh, others in the past that we've seen too. But uh, in the meantime, uh, it's it's creating a, a frenzy. Uh, you know, just looking at at gold mines it, it, uh, itself, and we can expect to see. I'm told uh, perhaps another half a dozen proposals when the when the you know the the, the exploration work uh, uh, clues up. But uh, no, you're right. Uh, there's been a lot of projects over the years, big projects, but what I've noticed um, in recent years is that uh, when it comes to those projects, as you mentioned in, in your preamble, there is very little uh, consultation with members of the public on those issues um, before those proposals are submitted. Well, let, let me ask you this, uh, Don, um, two things. One, um, at what point uh, do they do developers need to consult the people? Because of course we have um, down our way we have a um, this drilling going on in the Copper Mine Brook uh, area, but no one seems to know very much about it. And what, when does the consultation permanent stage kick in, or can they be out there in the woods drilling um, till the cows go home without uh, very much in the permitting regulation process kicking in? That's a really good question. I, I can tell you from my personal experience that we see a lot of those projects begin work, not, you know, in, in terms of a gold mine, probably not so much actually, um, you know, shovels in the ground in terms of digging for the gold, but we certainly see a lot of preparation work in terms of upgrades to, to roads and, and, you know, re replacement of bridges and stuff at, at stream crossings and things like that. And even on the uh, um, you know, the Marath Marathon project, there were a lot of concerns expressed by some of the siltation and stuff that was occurring as a result of that. The public really doesn't get an opportunity to provide input until after the proposal is registered uh, with the Provincial Department of Environment uh, for environmental assessment. And the other big thing that I've seen change is in years gone by, uh, when proposals were registered, the public used to have a, quite a lengthy time to provide input. I'm seeing, you know, major proposals being um, put forth now where you have, you know, probably three, three weeks, four weeks at most, and then within a week a decision is made. Uh, like, I, that's unprecedented from what I've seen in years gone by. Mm -hmm. And in years gone by, if we were to reach out to the Provincial Department of Environment and say, you know, we don't think, it, you know, a month or a month and a half is long enough, I th we think you, you, we need to have, you know, a few more weeks to give people, you know, uh, ample time to provide meaningful input then they're willing to entertain that, but we're not seeing that today. Right. There seems to be a rush to approve those projects. Um, 
even even if it means uh, going against the own the government going against their own uh, regulations. Yes. So what do you say to those people telling us, uh, "Don't worry, be happy. There's going to be an environmental assessment." To what extent do you think uh, that guarantees the uh, the health and safety of our uh, natural environment? Right, what I would say to those people is stay engaged, uh, monitor the situation very closely because one of the biggest downsides with our environmental assessment process is that it is the proponent themselves who prepare the environmental assessment. So they are very obviously very biased, the opinions that they give and uh, you know their view of things uh, I can assure you would not be in line with uh, you know uh, the public's view or the view of many different organizations similar to our own uh, all the time. In fact, often they're quite different. Uh, a lot of times uh, it's just a matter of going through uh, a paper exercise. So Greg, um, over to you. Um, as I mentioned, you're, uh, you were the, the founding chief of Bergio First Nation. You live in Cornerbrook now, but you're uh, still in touch with Burgio. Your family lives there in the family house overlooking the fish plant in, in Burgio. So you're, um, you're still very connected. And um, one big issue now in Burgio are these fish farms. Um, there was a, a meeting recently of uh, the Moe company uh, who came into Burgio with a proposal. Um, We've reported on uh, Mi'kmaq Matters, that meeting, but for people who might not have heard about it, uh, tell us a little bit about that meeting and what they uh, have in mind for Burgio and what their reaction was to it. Uh, yeah, when Mary came in, uh, they set up uh, a meeting. Um, they invited the town and the uh, First Nations uh, people there. When we got there, we found there was a couple tables with maps on it and they gave a presentation and said this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going to hire uh, hire uh, the uh, people around Virgil to work on these fish farms and these bays and um, you know and immediately that, uh, that raised a lot of red flags to me that the way they proposed their presentation when it come to uh, asking questions and everything, they wouldn't entertain any questions, uh, you know, on uh, on salmon anemia, um, on sea lice, uh, our concerns, uh, you know, putting these uh, these fish pens in. Um, I, I think there was uh, three million salmon in each of these sites in um, in the mouth of salmon salmon scheduled uh, rivers and that. So you you know it it. To me, um, it was uh, just a tech in the box. Um, you know, they didn't want want our questions being filmed. Uh, they opposed, uh, you know, it being aired on the uh, local channel. Um, so we had to um, do our homework very quickly. You know, um, uh, they, they promised a, a lot of things, but weren't able to uh, to answer any of our concerns or questions. And um, I went back and uh, I served on council in Virgil and when the fish farms started to show up and promised jobs and a few trinkets for the town and everything that um, I, I immediately, um, you know, it sounded really good that it was, uh, they were proposing that it was going to be an economic driver for the town, it was going to be the savior and grace of the town and everything was going to be fine, uh, you know. 
But, um, you know, my immediate concern is that they wouldn't answer any questions um, when it came to uh, mass die-offs and, and things like that. So um, once I started to do my research in it, uh, you know, I got even more concerned uh, about how lack of environmental standards there are, there are for these uh, for these massive fish farms. Um, you know, it seems, um, you know, like uh, Maui, and, um, uh, seems that they, they, they want to come here because it's the government is inviting inviting them here um, when they're getting kicked out of uh, places like BC and even in their own countries of uh, Iceland and Greenland and uh, you know and one of the questions I proposed to them why not land-based salmon fishing now it's well it's too expensive and so um, and, and talking to a few people that I would say to them that will show me the proof that it's more expensive than uh, than sea based now I think sea based salmon fishing um, farming it's easier to bury your secrets deep at sea um, you know when I asked uh, you know the environmental impact of what it's going to do to the wild salmon stocks um, you know there was no answer on, on um, you know the effects of this not only wild salmon stocks now but it affects the uh, black bear and, and you know the, the the main source of food for these animals now um, they're out of sight not not many people in their lifetime will see a fish farm uh, in the bays along the south coast because they're out of sight they're out of mind they go about their own business there is no regulation uh, environmental regulation when it comes to um, you know policing these uh, massive massive farms Tell us, uh, tell us what the uh, the plan Maui has because it would uh, it would affect not only Burjo but a lot of um, places on the south coast uh, uh, west of uh, where the salmon farms now are. France Way would have fish farms, and uh, where else down there would they be locating these fish farms if they if their plan went through? Um, they're planning on several sites uh, through the west or through the south coast um, up to as far as Lapoil. You know, Maui is not the only one. Uh, we got Greek agriculture, and that are uh, is given the green light to develop uh, fish farms. So we have several uh, companies in there uh, eyeing it up and uh, making proposals, and um, so the the the. Um, want to promise promise a lot of a uh, lot of things to these communities and um, and I think it's a lot of false hope you know um, uh, when it comes to jobs not um, you know I vacation down in Burgill and you know I have there there's a shortage of workers there um, it's an aging population we don't have the uh, uh, a employment pool to uh, from so you know one of my questions were now where you know you're going to get the uh, workers for these firms and um, other than bringing people from uh, outside and that so there's there was a lot of questions uh, asked and, and very little answers given which you know gives me a great concern over that um, these bays are you know I asked myself now why do they want to come into these pristine bays and uh, um, you know, my my theory uh, being is that because they can hide these farms in these bays and and uh, get away with a lot of the uh, 
um, regulated, uh, you know, uh, standards. Um, we we struck it very very lucky uh, this time when Fiona come through with these uh, storm surges, and if it was, you know, further down the coast, and that we would have been looking at an environmental disaster. You know, uh, these pins would not stand the uh, devastation that the south coast has, uh, has seen from Berger to Port of Ass. Then you would have a lot of uh, these farm salmon uh, breeding with uh, uh, hybridization with the, the wild salmon, which uh, caused problems. Right. Um, also down in Berger right now, there is a plan, there is a proposal to turn uh, Sandbanks Provincial Park into a national park and mm -hmm. to set up a, a marine reserve which i guess a marine reserve is kind of like a national park in the water it's a uh, kind of like a uh, a marine version of a of a national park um and i understand some of the people who support fish farms also support the marine reserve but that doesn't seem to be mm. a, a very good fit no it's not a i a question that myself that is you you know you can't have your cake needed too and that um you're trying to promote um uh, the tourism on the south coast and, that, and these pristine areas, um, we've seen some some of the uh, kayaking schools already uh, pull out of Burjo because of the uh, condition of the water when these mass die-offs happen and they render down the fish into fish meal. Um, you know, no one wants to uh, come to a coast where where the water is red or green and uh, and play in those things. So. We had to ask ourselves the hard questions here, and that is, as uh, as Mi'kmaq people, as well, and that you know, do we at what cost do we um, defend our land and water from these big companies? You are listening to the Mi'kmaq Matters Land and Water Summit. Our next speaker is Justin Hodge, telling us about the so far successful campaign to save. The Mi'kmaq ancestral land known as Charlie's Place. Charlie's Place is uh, very important to uh, a lot of the a lot of locals here. And as you know, we were uh, mixed uh, indigenous and non-indigenous communities here, Glenwood and Alvin. And the only thing that separates us is pretty much a river that again, the river that runs in between the two towns here. And Halibut uh, First Nations is, uh, I've been lucky enough now to be uh, working with Halibut actually as River Guardian for four years now, and uh, it really brought me back to, to our roots, I'll say, as a 12th generation uh, indigenous person. Now, Charlie Francis is what is named for uh, Charlie's place. It would be my 12th or 6th great grandfather, so it's approximately 12 generations. So anyway, that, that, that place up there really uh, really makes it sentimental to our family, which is the Francis clan, we'll say, our last names would be from Charlie Francis. And, uh, boy, that place up there, as you know now, Newfoundland with its 14 uh, native species, uh, what a, our wolf is gone, but pretty much every other one is up there crammed into this 100-square-kilometer uh, uh, Charlie's Place zone, which is uh, bordered by uh, uh, three, to three of the borders on Charlie's Place is actually... Uh, Water borders. The one is the Gander Lake, on the uh, on the on the south side. So now the uh, on the east and west side is the Southwest Gander River and Northwest Gander River, which is a Class Four and a Class Six uh, river system. Now that which holds, I'm going to I'm going to say probably you know the top notch salmon habitat for spawning habitat now pretty much left in the world today because there's not only salmon now we got our eel. 
two species of eel, American eel. And we have, uh, you know, some beautiful runs of trout and our brown trout now. And not only that, northern sturgeon, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> they live to be very old. And uh, they are known to uh, travel the Norwest River and spawn right up on the grounds of uh, just east of Charlie's Place on the east bank. So, you know, with, with that all on, going around, going on in the uh, around the perimeter and the, the inside of Charlie's Place now is full of these little tributaries and uh, hundreds of little tributaries, cold freshwater springs. Uh, you've got all of our medicinal plants and edibles, yeah, our, our chaga and... Uh, Oh my God, golden chanterelles, birch beliefs, uh, hedgehogs, uh, fiddleheads, uh, goes on, Indian pipe, uh, goes on and on and on. Just just all the biodiversity that's crammed into this little area. And with the, uh, the significance of these two rivers, which would, uh, it creates almost like its own microclimate. So it flourishes. It's just a, it's just a little haven up there for, for all these and insects is, you know, our dragonfly now is, is on the chopping block now, and uh, so is our two species of bat. So, you know, with all this coming down with climate change and, uh, you know, I'm going to say overhunting, which is a lot of abuse going on here now. There's no value to to our habitat anymore like it was one time. People just, just shoot and point and shoot now. You know, we like, to, we like to point and shoot with a camera rather than we would have gone anymore because it's that scarce to see a bit of nature around here. And you got the cutting, uh, which me and Glenn had uh, many, many chats about. And, yes. Uh, now uh, let's uh, let's uh, bring people up to date about that, Justin. So earlier this year, I think it was probably in the spring, um, we uh, got these reports that Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper wanted to move in and log half of Charlie's place, and uh, you and other people in the area. Uh, sprung into action and uh, organized meetings and sent letters and did a lot of work. So what is the latest on the logging? Does Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper uh, still plan to log? Has it logged? Uh, is there logging in the future for uh, for Charlie's Place? Now, from what we're hearing now, Glenn, there is a, uh, there's a hold or a pause, we'll say now, on the, uh, on the logging for now because, uh, you know, we've we brought up so many, uh, you know, just from the start, there's been a total lack of consultation with all of our groups here, tree native groups and towns and stuff. And I, I think, you know, with your help too, Glenn, and a lot of the other supporters with the, with the news media and stuff like to get this, you know, and we were putting out there, like how bad would it look for, for their, their customers, Cornbrook Paul Papers customers to go in on this land now that they know, the significance of uh, the burial sites and the uh, and uh, you know there's places up there now where actually my aunt and you know siblings and people have been born up there and just to have that significance there and have to go in and harvest it now so I think they're putting a pause on and I think they're hoping for it to quiet down but uh, you know we're just shifting gears now and hopefully you know we can keep it uh, keep it to a minimum until we get funding or on, until we go through this process right. Mm. Now the other thing that's uh, the other threat that is uh, that has arisen um, after the logging is the activities of this um, this mining company that is also in the area. Tell us about that. <laughs> Boy, it never rains but it pours. Uh, yeah, well, we we seemed like we were getting at the woods there a little bit on the uh, on the on logging aspect, and then we turn around and. Uh, 
this major uh, gold uh, mining company now is uh, not only just mining on our doorsteps here in our community, but they're, they're pretty much mining on the doorstep of Charlie's Place too. And you know, any day that could, that could be a reality. Now we've started uh, opening the doors for uh, conversation and consultation with them, but in regards to, it's a totally different uh, atmosphere and a totally different set of rules when it comes to, you know, when it comes to especially gold, Glenn, you know? Mm. And um, you um, you were working to get something that's called an IPCA, and which stands for Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area, which is um, a kind of a new, uh, a new program, as I understand it, um, uh, in which groups can get funding to... Um, to uh, to buy land and protect that land. Uh, what what's the latest with your application to get an IPCA for your for your area for Charlie's Place? Yes, well, we just started on the information information package just came out now for our proposal. So we had a meeting on the third of October, just initial, just to run through the application. So now tomorrow, actually, we're having a meeting. Uh, it's going to be the chiefs and myself and uh, maybe the member of the NCC. We're working with all these totally different, <laughs> you know, excuse abbreviations, but Nature Conservancy of Canada and, uh, you know, Ducks Unlimited and all these different uh, support groups now to, to probably get a recommendation, that, you know, just to boost up the the importance of, the, of, of Charlie's Place, not just in a spiritual or a cultural way, but in a, you know, for climate change and for all this. But, uh, yeah, this, this funding call, Glenn, would... Uh, really open up a door when it comes back to buying out tenures, whether it be mineral, mineral tenures or, you know, forestry, off, off cornerbrook pot and paper, or whoever, whoever would occupy the tenures, right? I see. So basically, the government would give you money to buy the land so you could protect it as an indigenous uh, space, uh, protected by indigenous people. Yes, yes. And, and now the bonus of, because uh, everybody, it seems... Uh, with all these protected areas popping up, you know, and people's kind of getting the wrong idea now. I don't know if it's uh, <laughs> if, if it's intentional, uh, getting the wrong idea, but uh, you know, we're trying to let everybody know in advance before it goes, if it goes to any meetings and public meetings or stuff. Now that an IPCA doesn't mean okay, you're not allowed to hunt, you're not allowed to fish, you're not allowed. We want this as a community held, you know, uh, a property like it was for the last. You know, since 200 years, since before Charlie, and before that, since the Beathic was there, you know, we want this managed in a sustainable way so everybody can enjoy it. And with this eco-tourism coming up and, you know, try to transition our people from trapping and hunting and, you know, that's okay too. But, you know, we got to look forward and say, you know, there's eco-tourism, there's tours, there's hiking, there's uh, local foraging, you know, that the benefits there is, uh, is uh, you know, is... Huge, Glenn, and it's time for government to realize it, right? In your work, your land and water defense work uh, these past uh, number of months, what have you learned in terms of strategy? What What is more likely to bring success? Uh, what tips do you have for people in other struggles that might be um, facing similar challenges as you have out there? Yeah, well, like you say, it's uh, I, I just I'm knocking on wood now. Before I'm going to say this because uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I just say uh, keep at your uh, keep at your local MHAs and 
you know, even uh, don't don't be afraid to go over their heads. Wherever you can get, uh, get all the petitions you can get, and uh, if you can possibly get it through the House of Commons, somebody to bring it forth, House of Commons, uh, somebody that's in the House, maybe to get the, uh, the premier's attention. And the more signatures, the better. The more support, the more you know uh, uh, displays. You you know the picketing, the signs. You know, because at the end of the day, I, I think. And I feel it every day for when I'm watching for Stephenville and uh, and uh, what's going on out there. It's the same thing we're going through, you know, all across the island, Glenn, you know, with these windmills and these fish farms and like you just mentioned and the cutting going on in the mining. We only got a small island here, and uh, I don't know if they're aware of, but there's no backcountry. So once everything is gone, it's uh, it's pretty much gone. But uh, I think we would really benefit from a from everybody getting together, you know, like you probably mentioned, like a, a coalition or, or something like that to make our voices heard for sure. Mm. Right, a uh, a Mi'kmaq People's Environmental Alliance, or maybe you know Mi'kmaq People and Allies, but uh, I guess. Um, there's uh, there's strength in numbers, so uh, we all have to uh, to stick together at this time. Yes, and I just want to add, uh, don't get make sure that it don't get discouraged because when we started at this, when when Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper walked into the our first meeting, there was uh, I think there was four of us, you know, and uh, it was myself and the three other elders. Uh, dressed up in our old checkered vests. Now, no doubt one fellow was cutting wood, the other fellow was um, doing something, or just come in the woods. And they must have come in and said, Well, boys, this is going to be an easy day. We'll wrap this up in time for or Tim Hortz coughing on the way home. But uh, little did they know, you know, that everybody came together and, and uh, at the end of the day, hopefully make it make it, make it a difference that lasts, right? Mm. Um, maybe, uh, Greg, uh, Don, do you have any questions for. Uh, for um for Justin in uh, in Appleton. Uh, well, first of all, good evening, uh, Justin, and uh, just for your benefit, Glenn, uh, I've uh, met uh, Justin in the past, and uh, I've attended some of the meetings and uh, that uh, that they've they've been involved with in trying to uh, uh, you know get Charlie's place uh, protected. I'm familiar with the uh, most of the uh, Gander River system, but I have never been to Charlie's Place. And Justin, I uh, saw your notice a little while ago where you're taking people up on tours. I just want to let you know I'm really hoping to to participate in that very soon. I've been a little too busy right now, but uh, you know we support what you're doing, um, and uh, you know I, I, I like your advice uh, to to the people. You know, don't don't give up on these things. You have to stay have to have to stay. Uh, involved is when you quit is when you lose. Again, I've been around for a long time in the province dealing with these issues and there is a growing sense of frustration among the people of the province who care about the environment, among the people of the, pro the, 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 the province who are involved with these environmental conservation groups and they feel and we feel as if we are being pushed, ignored and pushed into a corner. It was evident tonight from the commentary that we had that uh, there is a growing sense of frustration in the province that not enough attention has been given by our governments when it comes to issues around you know uh, you know land protections and protecting the environment and uh, you know I've, I've been given some thought to you know how how do you go about addressing that or what's the best way to, to do it and during the 30 years so I've been with the Atlantic Salmon Federation, I saw times in the past where there was a strong environmental movement in the province 
we, we had organizations like the Newfoundland and Labrador Environmental Network, and um, they were sort of a, a, you know, a multi-stakeholder type uh, group uh, that, uh, you know, uh, had a strong voice in the province. But uh, in, in all due respect to that organization, uh, as time evolved, um, they became more of, in my just personal opinion, more of a, um, uh, an education and public awareness type of organization, not, not so much an advocacy type organization. If I could just interject there, Don, for one moment. I think a lot of groups have moved on to doing work that they can get grants for, like uh, a lot of the, the, uh, the Western Newfoundland uh, Environmental Alliance is doing work on... Um, on uh, Gardening and you know native yes. Uh, yes. crops like that, yes. which is important work. Yes, but absolutely. Uh, to fight the government on these issues, there's no money. We can't get grants for the work that we want to do. No, absolutely. But I don't think that there's a um, that there's a um, uh, you know uh, a united voice in the province when it comes to environmental issues. I think everybody's working a little bit independently. Mm -hmm. And because of the level of frustration that we've experienced in the past, I, I don't think nearly as many people are speaking up now as they used to be because of that frustration of not getting anything done. And so I think, you know, some consideration should be given in this province by all of the groups uh, you know, that care about the environment and individuals who care about the environment that, you know, maybe it's time to, to start a new organization you know, an environmental group that's a strong advocate for, uh, you know, making sure that our environment is protected uh, properly uh, when proposals, whether they be for, for, for gold mines or, or protecting, you know, uh, uh, Charlie's Place or, or whatever. I don't think we, we, we have that currently, and I think it would be of great value if we, if we did. Had a, had a strong organization that represented a lot of people in the province, and they would be the lead advocacy group who are, who are willing to spe speak out. Because, you know, to me, as a, as a Newfoundlander myself, um, you know, it doesn't matter, I don't think, that whether you have land rights in Newfoundland or not, or whether you're black or white or, you know, whatever you are, if you live here, uh, in my opinion, you have a right to express your opinion when it comes to those issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Atlantic Salmon Federation, we have no land rights in Newfoundland either, but we're not shy about expressing our opinions on, on those issues. And we do so, not to be argumentative, but we do so in the best interests of the province. Uh, and, and that's why we, we do it, and for the, and for the, for the, you know, the fish um, that, that we value. Uh, so, you know, I, I believe that we, we need to have a, more of a coordinated voice and I'd like people to give some thought to that and uh, as to, you know, how we can probably go about setting something like that up. I think it would be of great value in the province. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need a, uh, a summit, an environmental summit. Yes. That all the groups sign on to and it could either be done in person or virtually or both. It could be a combination of both. Yes. I, 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 I thought about the same thing. It would be nice probably, you know, in, in the future to organize an event, maybe in central Newfoundland somewhere, uh, a place somewhere is easy to get to where we can have a conference, symposium, whatever you want to call it, but get people in there. You're listening to the Mi'kmaq Matters Land and Water Summit. This is a portion of the Q&A. My name is Alicia Drake. 
and I am a resident of the Port-a-Port -Port Peninsula, and I'm here tonight with eight, seven other ladies who uh, are, some are on the uh, Environmental Transparency Committee. Uh, I've met them in, uh, when we have been um, protesting, uh, when uh, Pre Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came to Stephenville and signed off on our crown land with the swipe of a pen. Uh, John Reisling, is that his name? He, came, he went up to Cape St. George. We found out about it through the media. He uh, was up at Saint, Cape St. George and he was asked uh, a lot of questions by, by locals. I was impressed. I, I watched it on uh, YouTube. And uh, the man, to me, his attitude, I am going. Uh, I thought that uh, the man had a lot of audacity. I thought that he wasn't respectful. And then he said uh, that he has spoken with a handful of leaders on the Port of Port Peninsula, and they agreed that he could go ahead. And uh, we didn't know anything about it, the general population. I have concerns about, and I'm sure a lot of the residents on the peninsula, if you have 164, 600 feet foot windmills, um, and you want to sell your house, uh, who's going to buy your house? Uh, no matter how much you invested in it, no matter if you invested everything in it. I am personally, and a lot of people on the peninsula are as well, I am English, my last name is Drake, I'm very English, but I'm also French and Mi'kmaq. And uh, I have over the years been conflicted by being English, being Mi'kmaq, and being French. Thankfully, I am surrounded by people similar with similar backgrounds as myself. Um, my father is English, but he, when the English came to Newfoundland, they assimilated and used the techniques of the indigenous people in order to survive because it's a harsh place to live. And uh, uh, right now, uh, just say, there are families, we all settled in one, concentrated area, there are families with five generations living in the same area. If the animals are going to be altered, if the, the sea life is going to be altered, the environment is going to be altered, like such as the flora and fauna, so will uh, humans. It seems like humans are the last on the list for some reason. And if you're going to alter all of those things, humans will be altered as well. And you're going to alter five generations of human beings that have a history 500 years or more, and you're just going to wipe that away? The center of the peninsula, we consider it our backyard. Townies, people from town will say, well, it's not your backyard, it's crown land. Well, when we go and pick berries there, uh, 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 snare rabbits there, catch moose there, uh, hunt moose there. Uh, we uh, go skidoo racing in the winter. I go snowshoeing in the winter there. And that's where all of our water supply comes from. There are two big lines of uh, turbines that have never been put on land before. They're meant for the water. Going over three ponds on the peninsula, and that's our watershed. That's our water.
I was, I was going to ask you about that. So are you able to tell from the map where the turbines will be located in your area? You're able to see that, you know, there's going to be a turbine right there at that bend in the road? Uh, well, yes. Well, there's three ponds. That's where we go uh, skidooing. And, and uh, so we know the area. And uh, you can see the water on the map of the three ponds. And there's two big lines going right straight across. So then... Poor people up at Cape St. George and mainland, they're getting the brunt of it. Uh, and Three Rock Cove, uh, they're, they're a park. There's a park up there. And there's cormorants and all kinds of uh, rare and endangered species of birds and plants. Uh, Risling says he's going to take the, the uh, you know, rare plants and he's going to transplant them someplace else. Well, they, wouldn't, they would be someplace else if they could have thrived someplace else. Mm. They are there for a reason. And uh, it's time we stop fighting with our government and our government started working for us. We pay taxpayers' dollars. We have a road that's hideous to drive on in the wintertime and not much better in the summertime. Uh, now the road is getting widened for a, a company that's not even uh, wasn't even based in Newfoundland until recently. Uh, the Romaine's Bridge, I mean, we'd have to slow down, and it was just horrendous. Now uh, uh, Romaine's Bridge is going to be fixed. You know, uh, we've been paying taxes all along. Stephenville doesn't realize either. They're a mercantile town. You can call yourself what you want, but you're a mercantile town. We all come from Bay St. George, and we feed Stephenville, and we have in the poorest of times, and we've done it in the richest of times. And you're turning your back on us and saying, you'll have to get used to it. Well, we can't get used to walking outside of our door and seeing 164, 600 feet turbines, and there's flickering that comes from it, there's uh, infrared sound that comes from it, and we're worried about our health, and we're worried about the health of our environment. And our voice uh, and the people that I have spoken to, we don't want it. And leave it off the Port of Port Peninsula. It's too small of a land base. And you have people surrounding the, all of the crown land that you want to exploit. Uh, Newfoundlanders have been exploited for over 500 years with the fishery. And we have a history of being exploited. Fishermen fought against uh, the, the federal government. Uh, exploiting our fishery to the point where uh, our codfish fishery collapsed. And we have seen where they've tried to frack uh, on the Port of Port Peninsula right around the beautiful Port of Port Bay. I ended up taking my homemade sign and going up to Ottawa and protesting on Parliament Hill. I felt so deeply because I'm the voice of the animals. I'm the voice of the land. I'm the voice of the water. They don't have a voice, so I'm their voice, and you gentlemen are as well. And thank you very much. All the points you've made, we've made the same points as well. We're in the same boat. Let's build a big boat and sail the waves. Here, 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 here. You've been listening to coverage of the gathering hosted by Mi'kmaq Matters on October 12th in Stephenville. You can view the complete video on our Facebook page or on YouTube. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Amson Okamah.